0: Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-hosts Bill Donahue. hello, hello, and Alex Lawson. Hey
1: guys, we're back. We're back.
0: It, it's always nice to come back from a break. I feel refreshed, ready to talk about a bunch of news.
1: We're back. It's a new year. It's a new decade, uh, and uh, most importantly, uh, a new season of The Bachelor. Wow, uh, that is people, important. People who have listened to the show for a while have uh, certainly caught on that we do like to. Peruse the casts of The Bachelor or Bachelorette to see if there are any legal professionals, attorneys, judges, I love otherwise. How you I don't know if there that. be any judges. <laughs> I was like, yeah, judges.
0: It'd be great if there were judges. Excuse
1: a little younger than that, I suppose. I also uh, love Judge how Posner you phrase is that. is the contestant on The Bachelor this year. Well, now you're on to something.
0: Well, I also love how you phrase that. Uh, we like to peruse. This is really your favorite pastime. And, and you Bill, just bring and the Bill,
1: too. To it's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's I mean,
2: I was... Me. Just before we went on the air, I was asking Alex if he wanted to be in a fantasy bachelor league. So, yes. um I wouldn't cut me out of the conversation.
1: Um, but we do have uh, news on that front. Uh, the, the there is one attorney in the contestant pool. Uh, a young woman named Kelly Flanagan. Okay, she's 27 years old. She is uh, she works on tax and finance. Uh, it's, it's it's like not very clear at uh, Flanagan Bilton. Uh, which is a Chicago firm where she's from. Uh, She's a a tax
2: consultant. What is clear is that she got a nice edit on the first episode. Yeah, that's the thing. She looks like she's going to be on the show
1: for a while. People who watch the shows can tell, like like you you can tell who's like an actual character and who's because there's like 30 women on the show, like, like only like the, a handful of them are serious yeah, contenders. Yeah, it's like the
0: equivalent of like a red shirt and Star uh, Star Trek. Yeah, where, definitely. Like, you can tell who's gonna be gone. But soon. yeah,
1: she she got a good edit, and she um the the bachelor is uh, Peter Weber. He's a he's a pilot, and they had met before. Oh. Like they they met before the the show started, and they had like this like kindred connection or something so she's gonna be around for a while uh we will provide i don't know if we'll provide updates every week but we will provide (laughs) noteworthy updates
2: we don't wanna we don't wanna promise something well i don't wanna (laughs) over
1: yeah over promise and under deliver uh there but yeah so kelly flanagan an attorney on the bachelor
2: but uh we have a good show we do a good non-bachelor show
1: I mean, um, some some things must come to pass. Yes. We're talking
2: to uh, Norm Ornstein. He's a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and an expert in congressional procedures. And we're talking about the upcoming uh, Senate impeachment trial, how that might go. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, what the rules are. He's going to try to cut through the, uh, you know, sort of the the fog and explain the the legal details for us. Definitely. Uh, we do have some news to get to
1: first. Um, I'll start, I, I suppose. Uh, very interesting. Uh, sort of settlement that came out of the uh, product liability world this week. IKEA uh, agreed to pay $46 million to settle claims brought by a couple whose two-year-old son uh, passed away after one of the company's uh, recalled models of uh, of dressers uh, tipped over uh, and fell onto him uh, in 2017. Uh, That deal is believed to be the largest uh, wrongful death settlement for a single child in the history of the United States.
0: Wow. Um, yeah, this is a. The facts of this are a sad one to talk about, but it yeah. is really widespread because I remember that recall. It was all over the news. I think I had that dresser actually.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's interesting that this this involves a product that was already recalled, and we are talking about uh, IKEA's Malm dresser, which we've almost all certainly seen. Uh, we'll get to the sort of ubiquity of the product in a second. Um, you know, we've seen it in someone's house, or maybe we've owned it ourselves. Um, The company recalled the dresser in 2016 after there were a slew of reports about it basically tipping over and falling onto small children in their houses. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission has found that IKEA dressers have killed at least eight children. Um, The company's sort of first big legal tussle over this uh, resulted in a $50 million settlement that was paid to three different families. Then that is, obviously, like I say, this this one was $46 million to a single family. Uh, the $50 million settlement came in 2016 uh, after, like I say, three young children were killed by this model of dresser, and the recall came uh, soon thereafter.
0: Yeah, so let's get into the details about the current one, what makes it Different yeah. from the the previous one that led to the recall itself,
1: right? So this uh, the settlement announced this week is being paid to Jolene and Craig Dudek, whose two year old son Joseph uh, died after the dresser uh, tipped over and fell on him, uh, and he asphyxiated thereafter. Now that incident happened in 2017, so this is a year after it was after the dresser was recalled in uh, 2016. But the Dudex sort of claimed that they never received, I mean, it was funny, you talked about it being all over the news. They they had said they never received any notice from the company uh, of the action that, that, okay. that, that it had been recalled. They were they were part of the IKEA family, which is their like membership right. package. Mm-hmm. So like, they, they, like they, they were on an emailing list. You would think it would be easy. They, they say they never heard of this. And the suit further alleged that the company had knowledge of the dangers of this product Sort of tipping over, uh, stretching as far back as 1989, wow. and did not do enough to, you know, ameliorate those concerns. Um, so anyway, the the settlement was was paid out today. It won't see the inside um, of a courtroom. Uh, IKEA put out a statement that said, "While no settlement can alter the tragic events that brought us here, for the sake of the family and all involved, we're grateful that this litigation has reached a resolution. We remain committed to working proactively and collaboratively to address this very important home safety issue."
2: You sort of hit on it earlier: the the um, how widespread this is. You know, this is obviously a tragic case involving one family, but yeah we've all owned lots of ikea furniture there are ikeas all over the country and it seems like this particular product is everywhere
1: yeah so um it, it raises a lot of questions about the about a company's obligations once or once they decide to do a recall and in this specific instance, the, the the market is just flooded with it. Ikea has, yeah. has estimated that they've sold roughly 29 million of these dressers oh my over oh my the years. God. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's a successful company. They sell, you know, decent enough looking furniture for pretty cheap. And so a lot of people buy this stuff. Um, so, you know, like I say, the Dudex said they never heard about the 2016 recall, which raises questions about how vocal and proactive the company is in telling people when they come upon these, these defects. Um, but even the terms of that recall sort of, um, uh, came under fire. Even people who, who did hear about it, they, um, in addition to like a normal recall, accepting returns and offering refunds. They also sort of made it part of the policy to just begin uh, offering wall mounts, which are just sort of the things that you screw into the top of the dresser to fix it to the wall to keep it from tipping over. And consumer advocates really kind of hammered them for that because they're saying, well, you know, you should probably just focus your efforts on providing refunds because what you're doing when you sort of circulate these wall mounts is you are putting – you are obligating – Consumers to make your product safer, not yeah. you, the company, making yeah, a safer that's, product. That's
0: a weird um, sort of precedent to have out there as an option for a company yeah. to put the onus on the on the consumer. You know,
1: that's I mean, you know, I, it, the very sort of critical advocate said you're you're trying to get out of pay of having to pay for this defect you did, and just say, that, right. oh, we do a little, you know, like, you know, fix to it. Um, and so, you know, the Dudics have settled the case. You can certainly understand why this is a, a serious and tragic thing that happened. Um, and these are very. Very interesting questions in the area of, um, you know, product liability law that are going to remain unanswered for now, but definitely something to watch considering um, uh, how popular this item is.
2: For our next story, we're talking about another popular product and litigation that has arisen uh, from it. Uh, We saw weeks back that there was news breaking about various hacking problems that had happened with Amazon's uh, ring home security yeah. system that it was being used to spy on people and that people were being harassed by hackers um, the tragic irony of the home security system right. performing that function not not lost on anyone right well so early in the new year a few weeks later as is often the case in situations like this with a high profile, Malfunction of a product. We are now starting to see uh, lawsuits being filed over this.
0: Okay, so I was a little tuned out as we got close to the holiday, and I certainly understandable saw a few news stories about this, but I don't really remember all the ins and outs. So catch me up.
2: Yeah, so on uh, I think it was December fifteenth. The New York Times broke a story about um, multiple ring users that had had these really disturbing incidents uh, involving their systems, um, which feature you know inward facing security cameras and microphones and all sorts of things that can, you know, lead to all sorts of difficult privacy questions. Um, uh, In in one situation, a, a Mississippi family reported that a man had used their the unit that they had put in their eight year old daughter's room to repeatedly call her a racial slur and to say that he was Santa Claus.
0: Oh, my God.
2: Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> the looks on both of your faces really. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not. I'm I'm laughing because it's like morbid. It's not yeah. funny,
1: but it was just like it's like absurd.
2: Yeah, um, uh, a man in Connecticut reported that a hacker started yelling obscenities at his mother-in-law, uh, waking her up. Uh, a Florida couple reported that a hacker had asked the they were an interracial couple uh, if their son was quote a baboon. Um, oh, so God. it's been a lot of like w- like really awful racial stuff involved in this. It's it's an ugly story.
0: I mean, I want to get into the legal stuff first, but. Also, can we just take a beat to think about how weird it is if a piece of equipment you have in your house you start hearing voices coming out of yeah. it that yeah. are just these outside well, people? Well, and, and also
2: the other thing that really strikes you about this story is like it's one thing if you, uh, you know, hack into someone's bank account and steal their money. It's an entirely different thing if you just do it to be an absolute bad person. Yeah, like yeah. to harass scream at people and, in their yeah. home. Like, what is the yeah uh, <laughs> um,
1: really
0: bad? like feelings about the world when this yeah. is the kind of story we're reporting on.
1: Yeah, there's something to be said about sort of a vulnerability in technology revealing the worst of humanity, which I think we've learned that lesson a couple times over the last uh, decade or so. But anyway, we're getting back to this is a this is about the sort of the corporate responsibility for a problem like this yeah. what did, what what has ring said in response to all this stuff
2: yeah it's an interesting theme running through these two stories right the uh, you know the role of these the, the, the companies in in when something like this goes wrong but um in this case ring which i mentioned before is owned by amazon yeah. um they've basically said that this is on the users and not really on them um the party line since these stories broke was that um there, there were no actual hacks or data breaches or whatever that, that, that their system hadn't been compromised. But in fact, people's individual passwords had somehow gotten out to third parties. Um, they specifically mentioned that this can happen when there are breaches uh, for, for other companies mm-hmm. and people use the same password or they oh, use gotcha. the same sort of um, security questions or anything like that. The quote that I saw from Ring, quote, it is not uncommon for bad actors to harvest data from other companies' data breaches and create lists like this so that other bad actors can attempt to gain access to other services. Okay. Um, I mean, I, you can see why
1: they would make an argument like that, but like you said, there are lawsuits. Uh, what are the contours of these, of these legal claims?
2: Yeah. So a lawsuit was filed this week in California federal court. Um, it was filed by the Mississippi family that I mentioned before from the New York Times story with their daughter, um, as well as a Texas couple that were... Hit with a similar hacking incident, um, it's filed as a class action. They want to represent anyone nationwide who any Ring users who were um, subjected to similar problems. the The claims are sort of what you would expect. There's invasion of privacy, negligence, um, breach of implied contract with with the company, yeah. and various other torts. Um, the 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 sort of plain English of that is that th- they say that Ring didn't do enough to prevent these user passwords. You know, even if it is these individual passwords that are getting out there, yeah, that Ring didn't take the steps necessary to prevent those from nonetheless being used to yeah. access their accounts. Yeah,
1: there are different I mean, I'm not we're not, I'm not a tech expert, but I mean there are different there are, you know, ways you can firewall from like other remote sort of accesses, like it came in from another from another place that's yeah. in the like house or yeah. a lot
0: of banks do that kind of stuff. Yeah.
2: Well so they specifically mention um, measures that have been taken by other companies sure, yeah. uh that, that ring didn't do. Um, one is two factor authentication, which everyone is probably aware of from their Gmail account or sure. like you said, Amber from your bank account. They send you a text that that gives you a new password that you have to a one time password that you have to type in. They say ring didn't didn't do that here. Um, the other one too that they mentioned specifically is so-called brute force entries. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of just typing passwords over and over and over again. Oh,
0: right. So it like for places that are more secure, if you try too many times, it blocks you out. It'll yeah, exactly.
2: You. And I mean, everyone's aware of the ones that are uh, maybe perhaps a little bit too hair trigger, where you get locked out after you mess up two times. But they, um, you know, it's a it's a useful thing to prevent someone from trying yeah. fifty different iterations of sure. like your home street or your uh, you know your Earth elementary school or, or whatever. whatever. Never. Yeah. Um, so, all and and the the real thing that they keep going to in this lawsuit is that all of this stuff that they didn't do was in spite of really clear warnings that, um, that that these things were vulnerable. That there was, um, they mentioned a live streamed podcast of hackers breaking into people's Ring accounts and, jeez, like showing what they were doing to harass people. So maybe that gets to the answer that we were that I was saying before of why people are doing this. That it's just some awful. Internet subculture, like, amongst the many uh, that are out there. Um, (laughs) But so uh, the, the quote from the complaint that I wanted to read, quote, "...even in light of widespread reports of hacks and unauthorized access to devices, Ring has refused to take responsibility for the security of its own home security devices and its role in compromising the privacy of its customers." Even as its customers are repeatedly hacked, spied on, and harassed by unauthorized third parties, Ring has made the non-credible assertions that it has not suffered any data breaches and that there are no problems with the privacy and security of its devices. So uh, we will see what happens here. It's obviously, it's always interesting, you know, I think we saw in both of these stories, um, the, the, you know... the responsibility of companies when they put products out into the market and what their corporate responsibility is, their secondary sort of liability when stuff like this happens, how they can be held responsible. Because really, I mean, they're the people who can can take action to prevent and fix kind of things like this, which is, I think, the uh, yeah the idea. Um, so uh, we'll watch where this goes. We'll watch to see if more cases are filed. Definitely. You have to think um, that's something we see in situations like this. So we will see.
1: Donald Trump has been impeached, but what comes next has become increasingly unclear as lawmakers squabble over the terms of a Senate trial that could potentially remove him from office. What is an impeachment trial supposed to look like, and how have they been arranged in the past? For answers to these and other impeachment questions, we welcome in Norm Ornstein, a congressional expert and resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. Norm, welcome to the show. Great to be with you. Let's let's just begin with some basics here. Uh, the impeachment process is laid out in the U.S. Constitution. Um, once the House has impeached a sitting president, as we have now, um, what does the Constitution actually say about a trial in the Senate?
3: So, uh, first, the Constitution says that the House has the sole power of impeachment and the Senate has the sole power of a trial. And impeachment can be for any civil officer of the United States, including the president, the vice president, and that includes judges and others. And a number of judges have been uh, impeached and many removed from office uh, in the past. Uh, the Senate basically has two requirements in the Constitution uh, for uh, its trial. The first is that it's going to take two-thirds of those voting uh, for conviction. And note that's not two-thirds of the Senate. It's two-thirds of those voting. Yeah. And the second provision is that the chief justice will preside. But the Senate itself sets the rules for how it will conduct a trial. And while we do have precedents, as you mentioned, um, the Senate doesn't have to abide by those precedents. And the votes in the Senate can be by majority vote.
2: Okay. So that's a good basic grounding in the impeachment process here. But over the past few weeks, we've seen a lot of disagreement between Senate leader Mitch McConnell and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi over what exactly will take place in the Senate in the coming weeks. Um, what have they been arguing over? What, what are they sort of wrangling with uh, as as we gear up for this Senate trial?
3: Well, we can start with uh, what is uh, pretty shocking and I would say unprecedented, which is that Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader, started out by flatly saying that he was going to coordinate every element of this trial with the person who's been impeached. Yeah. And keep in mind that uh, every senator, of course, when uh, that individual gets elected, gets sworn into the Senate, takes an oath on the appropriate Bible or document uh, to uh, faithfully abide by the Constitution and the laws. But then there's a second oath that's taken uh, for an impeachment trial where you pledge that you will be impartial. Uh, Now you know, the reality is that you're going into any impeachment of a president and a lot of people are not impartial. Uh, The the president has supporters, the president has uh, opponents. But to start out flatly saying that, uh, never mind that oath, was something quite remarkable. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, McConnell made it pretty clear that uh, he would just jam this through as quickly as he could without witnesses, with just the perfunctory elements. And the perfunctory elements and the trial would be that the House, which uh, creates managers, individuals who go over and basically argue the case, yes. almost like uh, the prosecution, and the president will have defenders, and those defenders are usually outside lawyers. Um, In the case of uh, Bill Clinton, uh, that was true. He had his outside lawyers, but uh, the final summation uh, in his defense was actually done by a senator, uh, Dale Bumpers of Arkansas, uh, his uh, very close friend and ally. Um, They uh, set in place in that particular case... A framework for how they would handle the trial in advance, and it was done in a thoroughly bipartisan way. Okay. From the get go, there. We had uh, the uh, Senate majority and minority leaders, uh, Tom Daschle and Trent Lott, uh, who sat down with members of both parties to set out a framework. And then they had some disputes over who the witnesses would be and whether there would be witnesses. Okay. Uh, In this case, we had McConnell saying right from the start that there wouldn't be witnesses. Mm -hmm. And Nancy Pelosi said, I'm not going to send over the articles of impeachment or name my managers until we know what the Senate is going to do and make sure that it's not just um, a farce.
1: Yes. And, and, And we should say we're recording this on a Friday and it's sort of it's looking like we're seeing some movement in the direction of Pelosi maybe getting ready to send over the articles. Um, But I did want to go back to the to the Clinton impeachment, just as just because it's our most recent sort of point of comparison. You said that there was disagreement in that regard over, you know, what witnesses would be what witnesses and what evidence would be presented. Where did they I mean, it was a pretty fulsome trial, was it not? It went on for several weeks. It went on for many
3: weeks. And the other thing that's important to recognize, especially as we hear the rhetoric now where Mitch McConnell is saying, we're doing it just like the Clinton trial, In the Clinton case, uh, most of the relevant figures, the people from inside his administration, the people who had been involved, including Monica Lewinsky, had been uh, interviewed and uh, vetted and uh, all of that discussed in a very full fashion yeah. before the trial took place. Mm-hmm. So witnesses, in some senses, were superfluous. Now, you can argue that it's not superfluous if you want to see these people face-to-face and you know, watch their facial expressions and so on. Uh, And one of the disputes, for example, in the Clinton trial was that Republicans wanted Monica Lewinsky to testify in public. And what they agreed to was to have it done in private because, of course, uh, this involves some fairly explicit sexual uh, elements. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the end, they agreed, for the most part, on the witnesses that they would have, all witnesses who'd been heard from before. What we have now is completely different. Because, of course, we had President Trump issue an order to everybody in his administration not to cooperate in any fashion. Uh, A handful of figures uh, defied that, Fiona Hill, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, and testified in front of the House. But the key figures, including those who were in the room when uh, the uh, impeachable offenses that the House has now voted on uh, took place, have not testified, have resisted testifying. There have been some subpoenas. It's worked its way through the courts. We now have, of course, one of the key figures, the then National Security Advisor John Bolton, yeah. saying that if the Senate subpoenas him, he will testify. Yeah, he says, if you want me, I'm, I'm, I'm available. Right. <laughs> yes. um, what's interesting is that um, he hasn't said, but of course I'll testify in front of the House as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what's likely to happen here is if and when these articles are sent over, and it's still possible that uh, Speaker Pelosi would say, you know what, we're going to subpoena John Bolton and see if we can get some of this on the record before a Senate trial. Yep. Uh, but what will happen is these articles will go over, the Senate will convene, and then they will have votes on whether witnesses will uh, testify, and the Chief Justice can uh, call for a witness, but the Senate, by a majority vote, can overrule that Chief Justice as well. And so, you know, frankly, the focus here, uh, whenever we get to a trial, is going to be on the handful of Republicans, especially those who are up in uh, potentially vulnerable uh, states yeah. in November, yeah. along with uh, retirees like Lamar Alexander, mm-hmm. and whether they're going to uh, stay with the party line and block any testimony, making the trial effectively into a farce, yeah. or will call for the testimony of people who could come up with very damaging things uh, against the president.
2: Well, Norm, you mentioned the uh, the Chief Justice, and I think that's an interesting uh, angle to look at here. You know the con- Constitution says that that Chief Justice John Roberts will preside over this these uh, this trial, but um, you know, it, what does that role look like? Is it you know is it an active role? Is it is it just sort of this perfunctory thing where he's there? What is that? What will that look like?
3: So we have, of course, the precedent of William Rehnquist right. who presided over the Clinton trial. And uh, Rehnquist uh, became a figure of derision of sorts because he ordered a separate robe for this trial, (laughs) being an opera buff that had all of these stripes um, and uh, it it didn't seem to be uh, in uh, the area of propriety that we might otherwise want. I vaguely remember a Saturday Night Live sketch about this at the time. Yes, (laughs) yes. yes. Sorry, go ahead. but for the most part uh as he proudly said afterwards i didn't have to do much of anything and the the reality is that even when they had some disputes over the nature of witnesses how long the witnesses would testify the nature of the testimony coming in from the managers in the house and from the president's defenders uh there were almost literally no occasions in which the chief justice as the presiding officer had to adjudicate disputes or make a judgment that might be different in this case. Hmm. And one of the more interesting elements is what do you do if you administer the oath as the presiding officer would do this separate oath that uh, the senators have to take Mm -hmm. pledging that they will be impartial When you have some uh, of those individuals, including the majority leader and uh, one of the president's staunchest defenders, Lindsey Graham, having already said that they're not going to be impartial.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, This is very interesting stuff, uh, Norman, and we'll get you out of here on this. This is sort of a more conceptual question. We've been talking about this amongst ourselves and in this conversation with you as well about the sort of towing the line between a political process in a legal process. I mean, do you think that this is, that, in, that an impeachment trial is sort of a legal proceeding with like a political sheen on it? Or is it the other way around, a political process, you know, with just legal trappings? Uh, I don't know where you come down on that. Is, that. is that a distinction that matters to you? Or, you know, what, what, what's, well, what are your it, thoughts? It,
3: it, it does matter to some significant degree. It It is inevitably going to be a political process. But at the same time, when you have um, fairly substantial evidence of misconduct, impropriety, wrongdoing, uh, you hope that uh, in something as grave as this, that senators will listen and will then fulfill their constitutional responsibilities. And we're now in an era of such tribalism and a kind of cult around the president that I you know think this is less likely to play out that way than the Clinton trial. Now, admittedly, the Clinton trial uh occurred during a time when the president's approval rating was rising yes. and was 70% or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And Democrats wanted to get it over with. It was an embarrassment. But Republicans wanted to get it over with because they were actually on the wrong end of the political uh, approval scale. Um, In this case, uh, we may see something similar in a very different way, though, because, of course, Trump's approval uh, continues to hover around 40% or -hmm. thereabouts. And Republicans want to get through this. Democrats, knowing that uh there's not going to be a fair trial and uh also knowing that they're going to be right in the midst of their presidential uh nominating process yeah. with uh, a lot of senators on that may yes. decide that they'll make their case and uh, and then move on from there and have at least the traction of presenting some pretty damning evidence that we have a president who, in an unprecedented way, uh, shook down a political leader from another nation for his own partisan advantage. It's a historic proceeding,
1: and we'll certainly be keeping our eyes on it. Yeah. Uh, Norm Ornstein, thank you so much for joining us and uh, talking sure. it through with us. I uh, really pleasure. appreciated the conversation. You bet.
0: I like to end our show with something offbeat, and judges are acting crazy again. This is about as offbeat as it gets. Yeah. um, I didn't
1: think we could top the Indiana judges, but this gets pretty close.
0: This is definitely (laughs) wild. Um, The Kentucky Judicial Conduct Commission brought charges against a um, family court judge named Don Gentry for a variety of Actions that she took, including um,
2: (laughs) a variety of actions, (laughs) multiple actions. Well, look, uh,
0: it includes all kinds of misconduct, including things about how she ran her judicial election campaign, um, how she retaliated, retaliated against employees. But boring. the, The top line thing everyone's talking about is an allegation that she had a threesome in the courthouse. With two of her employees,
2: little uh, how the sausage gets made for the <laughs> listeners. I was uh, right, right before this. I was googling Judge Threesome to try to find more news stories and about it.
0: Bill's going to be fired later by deeply our IT unpleasant team. Google <laughs> search. Yeah, um, yeah. This is truly crazy. Um, yeah, she's the reason we're talking about it today. Um, she was actually put on suspension by that judicial ethics um, panel while the case uh, while plays, plays exactly, out. Exactly while it plays yes. out, and it seems like there's going to be a lot of people that need to be. Um, interviewed on a lot of... Uh, at least three. At least so- three. God, you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> he's got, oh, he's got all the good jokes over there.
1: <laughs> so... <laughs> at least
0: three people. So let's get into some of the <laughs> nice. other things she allegedly did. She um, is accused of coercing a bunch of her staff to actually work on her re-election campaign. Mm-hmm. And then the people that didn't want to do it, she would retaliate against them because they didn't support her. This is garden
1: variety, uh, government yeah. corruption, government allegation type allegations. Yeah. Of stuff. yeah.
0: Uh, but where it starts to get a little crazier is when she allegedly hired someone she was already in a romantic relationship with first
1: first mistake
0: this guy is a former pastor who didn't really have the experience necessary for a job in the judicial system a man Um, of god and they're. Well, who are you to say? They're,
1: Amber? Please, well, please leave that to the authorities. The
0: Judicial Conduct Commission. Yes, has this In their uh, <laughs> yes. in their uh, charges. I know. Um, so he allegedly was allowed to play guitar and sing in the office.
1: This, by the way, I'm I'm glad I'm so glad you mentioned that. Way more unforgivable than like what what we what we think to be consensual sex, dude. At work. Dude, in your college
2: dorm, just playing Wonderwall.
1: Yeah, uh, I, yeah at I the did. court. The, I, I,
0: the quote about it was that it quote. Was disrupting other court employees during the workday. Yeah, no, doy. Exactly, reasonable. No kidding. Yeah, um, yeah. So, Gentry to those allegations said that she didn't know that that was a distracting behavior. I uh, <laughs>
2: didn't know he wasn't allowed to do that. <laughs> was
1: that th- this is this is the classic George Costanza? Was that wrong? <laughs> was that wrong? Should I not have done that? Because if I was aware that that was frowned
2: upon. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Amber, you've mentioned two strikes, but I got to think in a story like this, there's a third strike coming. <laughs>
0: well, um. She allegedly took her children to work and let them witness confidential court proceedings, I think including you're saying, let, let, let them witness. <laughs> no, a no, let's not go there. <laughs> just, just the actual court proceedings, but it's family court, and all of that stuff is supposed to be private. Sure. And allegedly, one of her children recognized another kid that was part of one of the cases. Oh no! So that's not good, guys. Um, just all sorts this is a, of this is a cesspool stuff like that. Over yeah, here. she um, falsified allegedly. time shape sheets, and um, she let. People that work for her get drunk on the job. Like it goes on. Wow, really
2: buried that lead too.
0: (laughs) It's hard to pick what's the most leading thing here. I I mean, mean, it's not that difficult, but you know. (laughs) Uh, I missed the forest for the trees here. So the alleged threesome was with the uh the pastor we've previously talked about and her secretary um but (laughs) oh oh, i didn't i I, I missed that part i also (laughs) didn't
2: realize that the other the third member was also a a, an employee and Mm. it
0: allegedly happened during work hours so not even off the clock
2: like at at the courthouse yes
0: yes on premises during business hours um, and there's another person, another attorney who alleges that she was propositioned and then that oh. she was treated poorly after she declined. Turning so the, turning
1: the courthouse into a swingers resort. What is going a on A lot here? going on.
0: So as you can imagine, all the headlines have been about what we're sort of joking about yeah. because it's, it's hard to not focus on that in this, <laughs> well, in this story, yeah. but she's done so many other alleged, you know practices that would be against any level of judicial ethics that there's going to be a lot to unpack for this commission so sh- they did decide to suspend her she's going to be suspended at least a few months while things proceed so we're going to have to check back in on her in a couple months and see where the hearing takes us
1: i mean i i i know one thing whoever is like filling in for her is going to go nowhere near those chambers i would imagine that's that's the only the, the only thing i can think of <laughs>
0: Guys, it's been a great first show back in the new year. Thanks for being with me, Bill.
2: See you again next week, guys.
0: And Alex. Thank you. We also want to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader, our graphic designer, Chris Yates, our guest this week, Norm Ornstein, and contributing reporters, Haley Conath and Emily Field. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner. If you want to know more about anything we've talked about today, check out our website. It's law 60com podcast. And if you like us, do us a favor and leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts That's how other people find our show. Thanks and see you again next week.